0: You are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. You know, uh, I remember the days (coughs) when you could just go to a grocery store and mindlessly pick up some food to eat and just eat it, right, without even thinking about it really. But now, Uh, When we enter these stores, we have to carry with ourselves a degree of skepticism because we start thinking to ourselves, is this really organic, right? Even though it says it's organic, is this really cheese or is it real beef? You know, the canned cheese, it always says made with real cheese. Do you guys buy that? Let's not be foolish here, right? So today we've learned that every packaged item is not necessarily fit to eat. We have also now become concerned not so much about will there be enough Michael Jordan shoes for us to buy or where we can get it, but rather now we're concerned about the working condition which people have made these shoes. So I recently learned that there are also a lot of toxic things. Now uh, every once in a while, Grace and I would like to treat our little daughter to a toy. And um, we'll go to, she loves cars. She prefers cars over dolls. It's really interesting. I love it. I mean, um, so we so we go to a, a, a dollar store or something like that, and she'd look around and we say, oh, look at these pretty little dolls, and she, she just wouldn't care. And she'd see the monster trucks, and she's like, oh, dump truck. She loves dump trucks, too. <laughs> so she'll grab one, and then, and we'll, we'll, you know, it's a dollar, right, so it's no biggie. Until just a few weeks ago, I read on some blog, and I don't know how true it is, but they say most of the things that you buy from a dollar store are pretty toxic. Right, including you know picnic mat, t- uh, the uh, picnic uh, covering for tables and, and for party supply, Christmas decoration, things like that. So I'm sorry, but I don't know if it's true or not. By the way, there's a lot of toxic things and we have to be careful. It's not like we're learning where things come from really matter, right? And it's no different with religion. It's important for us to know where our faith comes from. And so when we looked at the greeting of this letter, one of the great themes introduced there and here was that the gospel came straight from who? God, Jesus. Now in our text this afternoon, the apostle unpacks for us what that exactly means. Turn to your neighbor and say, the gospel comes from Jesus. So we got a couple of points to ponder, okay? First is this. For those of you who are writing, you can go ahead and type it on your keyboard. The gospel wasn't some clever idea. It wasn't someone's just random idea that sprung up out of nowhere. Every religion that we know can be traced to some founder who had some idea. So what about Christianity? What about the core gospel that we preach? Paul says in verse 11 that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, I did not invent the gospel. The disciples did not invent the gospel. Peter did not invent the gospel. James did not invent the gospel. Then It was not invented by the early church fathers because from verses 13 to 16, Paul goes on to prove the point that people were trying to accuse him of. He's saying, look, I'm not making this up. I didn't create the gospel. Because a lot of people are saying, Paul, this sounds really fishy. That you would come here all of a sudden, and now it seems like you're just making all this stuff up. And so, Apostle Paul, he decided to defend himself. And his, his first defense was that he was originally opposed to the gospel and that he wanted to destroy. You remember Paul, right? What was his former name? Saul. Yeah, unlike other religions, the radical nature of Christianity's message it calls everyone to repent and submit to Christ. Other religions says, you know what? Just be good, do good, and you're fine. This one says, no, you got to change. You got to give up everything. You got to surrender. And Apostle Paul hated that. People hate that. Paul hated that, so he persecuted the church because he hated it. He hauled off Christians to jail, and he approved of executions just because people followed after Jesus. Paul was actively trying to destroy those who claimed to know God through Jesus. He's saying, no, no, no. You got to know God through the law. He hate the gospel. Apostle Paul, he hated Jesus. So he's telling people, look, don't even try to pretend and think that I made this up. I've been spending my entire life, my energy, my time, my resources and trying to stop it. I hate the gospel, he's saying, or hated it. His second defense was that he was perfectly happy with his then-religion of Judaism. He was super proud of himself. Why was he so happy with himself? Because his zeal for his Judaism was the exact opposite of the gospel of grace. You see, people who don't understand the gospel of grace tend to have a fairly high view of themselves. People who don't understand the gospel of grace, they're the ones who like to judge more often and judge carelessly. Paul was that person. You see. Paul goes, I pride myself in the fact that I was circumcised on the eighth day, that I was a part of the people of Israel, that I was born from the tribe of Benjamin, that I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? And in terms of law, he says, I was a Pharisee. I was like the pinnacle. I was the Kremlin Kremlin. You know what's funny? Every time you talk to Jesse about Korean nationality, (laughs) he'll always say this one thing. He'll say, you know what? You may be Korean, but I'm more Korean. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, because I come from royal family, from royal background. I'm like rolling my eyes thinking, who doesn't come from royal background, right? We all say that. We all say we're, our ancestor was like the royal scribe to the, to the emperor or whatever. And, and Jesse says, no, 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 my, 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 my ancestry, the kin, we were actually kings and so on and so forth. Well, Apostle Paul, very legalistically in the same way Jan- Jesse was bragging about, <laughs> was saying, you know what? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. And as for zeal, he's saying, I'm a devout Jew and I persecute. This is how much I'm into Judaism, that I hate Christianity so much, that I persecuted the church and the people. And as for legalistic righteousness, he's saying, look, you can go ahead and scrutinize my whole life. I am faultless, blameless. Look into my life. See if I ever disobeyed my parents. See if I ever stole anything. See if I ever broken any rules or law. No, you see, I am blameless. There's nothing on me, he says. Now, let me give you a little bit of a clearer image of who Paul is. In more kind of relevant terms. Paul's a bigot. He was a cruel fanatic. He's the type of person who would pick it funerals, and condemn people on the spot. He's the type who would troll the internet and make hateful comments on every post or blog that he disagrees with. He was wholeheartedly devoted to his own system of belief, and he hated Christians and Christianity, and he really hated the establishment of the church with such passion. He was someone who was in such a mental and emotional state of self-righteousness that he was sure that there are so many people who <laughs> never enter into any type of apologetic debate with him. They didn't want to argue with this guy. This guy was just like, if you argued with him, it was like talking to a wall. This guy would never change his mind. This is, we're talking about Saul here. He would never change his mind. No amount of persuasive words or even kindness from Christians or godly living would sway or influence his heart of stone. There's nothing that you could do. There's nothing anyone could do. And perhaps you're thinking someone in your mind right now, yeah, there's that person who's an unbeliever. Man, I've done so much. I tried being really forgiving and loving and serving. I try to do, I try to be as hospitable and generous and compassionate. I pray for this person. I've done everything I could possibly do. This person has not budged at all. This person has not even is not even willing to even receive the Bible as a gift. I mean, I've done everything. This is Apostle Paul we're talking about. Every possible thing could happen for him. But he's like, no. He's completely, completely against God in every way. And maybe this sounds like someone you know. Maybe this was you before. Maybe this is you right now. But here's the truth of the gospel. The gospel message may be delivered by ordinary people like you and me, but only God can reach the innermost parts of man. Only God can change even the most absolutely hardened hearts of unbelievers. Because who, was, who had the heart, most hardened hearts? It was Paul. It was Paul. Paul had such a hardened heart, and yet what did God do? God changed him completely. God changed him, 180. He turned his life upside down, wrecked his life. The gospel wasn't something that Paul just conjured up, that he just made up. The gospel was what took over his life because the gospel comes from God, not from you, not from me, not from man. Only God can change a man's heart. So if you know anyone who is in unbelieving state and you've talked to them many times and you've... Preach the, uh, the gospel message to them. You pray for them. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't worry. Don't worry at all. But pray and have faith in God that in his own time, he will open their deaf ears to hear and open their eyes, their blind eyes to see the truth of Christ. Amen? If, if God can convert Paul, <laughs> then Saul, then God can surely do anything to those around us. The third defense of Paul was that he had received a direct revelation. Verse 12 says, But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says it from verses 15, 16, But when he he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Notice here that at every point the gospel came at God's initiative. God started. God, he's the one who began it. People in the midst of Paul's violent opposition to the gospel, God, you see, called him by his grace. Paul was, I mean, think about the riots that have happened in the past years. That In the midst of that chaos, people are going crazy. Apostle Paul, or Saul then was going crazy too. And all of a sudden, in the midst of his anger, his bitterness, and his hatred towards the establishment, his hatred towards Christianity, it just stops. Just imagine a rider just about to throw something through a glass, um, through a restaurant or a retail place. All of a sudden, he just stops and goes, you know what, what am I doing? And he walks away. In the midst of Paul's violent opposition, God just completely changed him by his grace. You see, Paul was on the road to Damascus, and do you know what he was doing? He was on his way to persecute more Christians. He was on his way to hurt and haul more Christians into jail. But what did God do? God completely changed him. He he didn't just give him a new direction in life. This calling that Christ had given him was more like when Jesus called out the dead man Lazarus to get up and come out of his tomb. Now my point is this, and this may get a bit theologically heady, but bear with me. It's not about us calling out to God We can only call out to God to save us only when God calls us out of spiritual deadness. When God gives us new life. You see, God's calling us enables us to believe and call upon Him. If if God does not give you the heart, the mind, the soul, the spirit to be receptive to His calling, then you would not be calling Him. There's a hymn that sums this up well. It said, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior true. No, I was found of Thee. Paul understood that before he ever sought after the Lord, the Lord chose Him first. The Lord sought Him out first, the Lord called Him out to a new life first. Then having raised Paul from his spiritual blindness, God revealed Jesus to him, and God gave him the gospel of Christ to go preach to the ends of the earth. Now, we don't know exactly when and how and where that happened, but God supernaturally has done this for all his children. And if you are a believer and can profess faith in Christ, God has done this for you too. We call upon God because God first first called upon us. We can love God because God first loved us. We can forgive others because God has first forgiven us. You see how it goes? Only reason why you and I can do anything good, anything that will honor God and elevate God is because God has first done that through the example of Christ Jesus for us. So praise be to God. Amen? Do you see how the gospel is the greatest act of grace? And do you see how thankful we should be as believers? Therefore, before in our prayers, before we say any type of God, I need this, or give me that, or do that for me, it should always be praise and prayers of thanksgiving first. Thank you for your grace today. I woke up today. Thank you for your grace. Grace and I had a friend who had a child, this was a couple years ago, who was two, two and a half, something like that. So it was way past the infant, no, was way past, past the infant stage, guess what? The parents woke up to a dead child. They didn't know. We didn't know. It's called SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. We don't know why it happens. Every moment, every single day, it is a gift from God. It is by the grace of God that you all here got here safely. It is by the grace of God that you can hear this message. It is by the grace of God that you have one another. It is by the grace of God that today you woke up and have breath in your lungs. We should be thankful Every moment of every day. Amen? If you're not a believer, if you haven't experienced God and prayed to God right now, humbly ask Him to reveal the glorious truth of Christ by His grace, not because you're ready to receive, but because we have nothing else to rely on but by the grace and mercy of God. Pray, Lord, I know it's up to you to awaken my soul. I humbly lean upon your grace to open my eyes the way you opened Paul's. Now here's my second and final point. The gospel isn't some sort of man-made tradition. It's not some church tradition. Paul goes on to verses 18-24 about how the gospel wasn't some tradition he had learned from his travels or something that he was just taught and got ingrained or whatever. Remember, here's the accusation towards Paul. They're saying, Paul, you're coming up here and you're saying something pretty outlandish. I think that you made all this up. I think because you're so well-traveled that you experience different cultures and different kind of uh, philosophies and different other familiar-sounding teachings and then you kind of merge it all together and create this thing called the gospel that you're professing. So Paul, if you read from verses 11-24, he's sounding pretty defensive because that's what he's doing. He's defending himself. He's saying... I didn't spend time with these church leaders. I ran into Peter and James for a couple weeks, but that's not enough for me to all of a sudden completely change and become equipped and trained and devoted to do what I've been doing. He's saying the reason why the gospel was so impactful to him is because he finally realized what the gospel was. That the gospel is good news to broken people. And despite his many credentials, despite his many accomplishments, the Spirit of God, he says, has opened my eyes to realize how, realize how utterly broken and how much I truly needed Jesus. By the way, brothers and sisters, here are some indications of why your faith right now may be a bit weak and dry. It's because you haven't realized the gravity of your spiritual deadness. The brokenness of your life is still something that maybe you're unwilling to admit and repent of. You're thinking, I'm still okay. I'm fine. There's no desperation on your part. And so any reliance upon the gospel isn't a daily hunger and thirst to hear from God and know Him and repent of your sins. But the gospel has right now just become something you hear on Sunday. It's become an appetizer and where the world has really become your main course. So Paul is saying, look, this gospel message, it's not from me. It's not something I just made up. The gospel is is not something I've created. It's not something I just made up for to, to promote myself or for others. The gospel is the only message that comes from God, and it's the only thing that makes sense in my life now. The gospel message is not from man, it's straight from God. The gospel will cut through the layers of confusion and tradition of other beliefs. The gospel is the eternal word that has become flesh and walked in our shoes. The gospel is Jesus who took our punishment on the cross and rose from the dead to give you life. The gospel is a call to hopeless people who are dead in their sins and to live again in freedom only that Jesus offers. The gospel, he's saying, is profound and you cannot understand it. You cannot fully comprehend it without the grace of God. You must allow God to open up your mind and your heart in order to understand it. And the interesting thing about the gospel is that you'll come across a lot of people who claim to understand it. And they they say they're not Christians. They say they're atheists. They say they're agnostics. They say that they are whatever other religion. They'll say, yes, no, no, no. I get what you're saying. I get it. But the thing is, if you get it, If you get the gospel, if you get the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, there can only be one true response. If you truly get it, there can only be one response, and being indifferent about the gospel is not it. You know, there's this famous scientist, uh, neuroscientist or physicist, I don't know, and a slash atheist. His name is Sam Harris. And he'll go into a lot of these kind of religious debates and he'll spew off different beliefs of other religions and he'll try to counteract and, you know, try to break it down, deconstruct, and he'll profess to know the gospel message of Christians as well. And he'll say it correctly. He'll say, you know, Jesus did that, Jesus did this, he claimed to do that, he claimed to be that, and so on. But you know what? Ultimately, at the end of it, it means nothing to him. You can get it, but not get it. Why is that? Because unless God opens your mind and heart and changes the condition of your spirit to understand, then the gospel message will only just be words. It matters that this gospel came straight from Jesus. It matters how you respond to him as well. But this afternoon, if you're not a believer, it's because it's not up to you to believe, but it's up to God to awaken you to believe. So, the Lord asks you all today to humbly seek his grace, to repent of your sins, And wait upon the Lord. And for those of you who are believing Christians, what does this mean for us now? According to 1 Thessalonians 1 5 10, a lot of people have asked me this Pastor David, you preach about the gospel, but what does it actually mean in a very practical way? What does it mean? How do we apply it into our lives? Well, 1 Thessalonians 1 5 10 tells us that the gospel is for believers to convict our sins. It leads us to pursue God's holy law so that we may live life that is lived in holiness. And lastly, the gospel increases our faith in believing and loving and worshiping Jesus Christ as the Lord. Now here's the thing. The gospel is not some money maker. It's not a genie to grant our wishes. It's not necessarily going to make your life better now either. So if your desire to believe the gospel has some sort of strings attached, and that attachment is for worldly and self-centered gain, then you're barking up the wrong tree. And quite frankly, you probably wouldn't want the real gospel because the real true gospel will cause you to realize that in order to inherit the kingdom of God, you need to forsake the world. The gospel is not some belief system. The gospel is the life of a person, the personhood of Christ. The gospel says no to everything else and yes to Jesus. Say right now, yes to Jesus. That's what it is. Every single day it's yes to Jesus. when they're demanding when there are moments where it just demands your choice to make choose either A or B, whether it's for your own personal gain or to promote and honor God, it is always yes to Jesus. Any given situation, yes to Jesus. The most important thing in my life, I'll tell you right now, is my relationship with God. and before you start Running to my wife to tell her that. She'll say the same exact thing. It is more important than my relationship with my wife. My relationship with God is far more important than my relationship even with my daughter. And so the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what it does? It is so important. My relationship with God is so important that I need it. I need it to convict me of my sin so that my fellowship with God can be restored. Because let's think about it. This past weekend... How many of us have actually opened the Bible instead? How many of us have actually just opened up Netflix? Right? I mean, I'm not here to condemn you all. I, I watched Netflix this weekend as well. But how many of us have actually did something that was so draining and so exhaustive that we completely neglected this relationship with God? And have you ever done that on a lengthier basis on a week or a month or even a year where you quit doing quiet time, you quit praying really? How's your spiritual life then? It's depleted. It's depleted. And so knowing the gospel helps you bring you back to God. It allows the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. It allows us, allows us to restore our fellowship with God. The gospel also leads us to pursue a holy life So that my life will be pleasing to him and demonstrate, even if it's fractional, the way that Christ lived. And lastly, the gospel reminds me of the one who made this all possible, Jesus. You know, when I reflect on Paul's life, I think of my own in some ways. I think of the places that I've been, the challenges I've faced, the pains that I have endured, and the pains I've also inflicted. I think of my journey and looking back, now I'm able to see the course that God has been leading me through. Similarly, I believe for all of you, you're all waiting for something. We're all waiting for something right now. Perhaps you're waiting for some sort of calling, much like the calling that Paul received from the Lord. Or perhaps it's a different type of calling. Maybe you're waiting for a calling in terms of employment or marriage or something like that. Paul has been fighting and resisting God for about well over four or seven years now, In in God's perfect time and place, all of a sudden Paul's life was transformed and he was given a new direction. Brothers and sisters, as much as you're waiting for something, as much as you're waiting to hear from God for that calling, whatever it might be, maybe relocation, maybe employment, whatever it might be, I'll be honest with you. If your life right here, right now, is not invested in the kingdom of God, If you are right now, right here, not in love with the gospel message of Christ Jesus, it won't matter what calling is given to you because you won't be receptive and responsive to it anyways. So, what does that mean then? I believe the Holy Spirit has led me to write this and say this to you. Prepare yourselves. The Lord will call you one way or another, but prepare yourself now. Grow in faith now. Submerge yourself into the word now. Have a passionate prayer life now. Love your neighbors now. Worship God with all your heart, soul, and strength now. And remember the gospel at all times now. So today, for those of us who are here, and to those who are at home, the gospel leads us to this final point. Simply put, if you're gonna eat Feast upon the glorious riches of Christ's love for you. You know how much Jesus loves you? Like, bask in it. Enjoy it. If you're going to drink, drink from his word that does not run dry. And if you rest, rest on the righteousness of Christ. That is not by your works. It's not by anything else. For those of you who couldn't manage to come out here, do not feel condemned. Don't feel, oh, man, these... Dozen or so people, they're so much more faithful. Perhaps, but still, don't feel condemned. Rest on the laurels of Christ, on His righteousness, whose perfect work was done on our behalf and for the glory of God. So I want to thank you guys all for coming out here this afternoon. For those of you who uh, checked into our website, and my one single last challenge is simply this. Now, when we go back home, and some of you guys may or may not go to school or work tomorrow because the roads are still pretty bad, simply this, just rest in God. But know what that rest means. If you're not a believer, you cannot rest in God because His judgment is upon you. But for those of you who profess faith in Christ Jesus, you can most definitely rest in Him even in the most dire moments of your life. Why? Why? Because though your circumstances may be extreme, may be painful and hurtful, know that your eternity is secure. Know that you as a child of God, the Lord's hand is above you, beneath you, and surrounding you. Know that the Holy Spirit is here for you, to lead you, and to lift you up. And know that the Word of God here is here to sustain you, and to replenish you, and to lift you up, and to just do everything for us. Because you see... That is what God does. Rest in Him. Trust in Him. And just worship Him. Amen? Amen. So we're going to have our concluding song. And, uh, but before we do, let's just take a couple minutes here now just to pray. Whatever you've heard today, whatever you felt that the Holy Spirit was telling you, I want to encourage you guys to go into that. Pursue that. We have to believe that this is God's divine providence in bringing you all here. Despite our small numbers, we know that God is here, and that we are in his presence. We don't need to call upon him because he is already here. The Holy Spirit is, inter- is right here uh, pressing upon your hearts. Our Lord Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf. We are fully equipped to get right back with God. Take this time and pray. Meditate on what you've heard. And with corporate humility, let's all just seek God in one voice and one heart, okay? Let's go ahead and pray.